Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so excited that for the very first time ever, I am interviewing someone in Japan. She's not Japanese, but that is why I get to interview Alison Watts, because she is the translator of a most extraordinary novel, sort of an instant classic called The Boy and the Dog by Seishu Hase. And Alison is 100 kilometers north of Tokyo. And I'm just amazed that she and this book came together. She, she clearly was the right person to be chosen to translate it. Allison, welcome to the show, and congratulations on having, I don't know anything about Japanese, so I'm just going to say <laughs> it feels in English like a Japanese novel would be, which I guess is, is a high compliment. Why is it that your Japanese is so good that you got chosen out of all the people in the world to translate this beautiful book? Uh, well, one because I've lived in Japan for a long time and over 30 years I've been working as a translator for about 25 years oh. and I've been a full-time literary translator since 2016 and I don't know if you've been aware but there was a trend for quite a while in, in publication of Japanese literature in translation. There are a lot of books about cats and I, I like cats, but I'm also a great dog lover. And it was, I was waiting for a book to come along that I thought would be worthwhile translating in uh, a book about dogs that I thought would be worthwhile translating into English. And when this book was published in 2020 and then won a major prize here a couple of months later, I read it immediately and I thought, I love this book. And I'm going to be the one to translate oh, nice. it. So immediately contacted the publisher and, and we started working on it. I'm really glad that you did that. I'm, I don't know too much about the translation world, and it's interesting that that's your full profession. I knew one man in Italy years ago, very famous, William Weaver. He translated Italian, mostly books about operas. And his Italian, when he spoke it, had the most American accent. It, it used to actually hurt my ears. It was correct. But wow, was it like, oh, an American speaking Italian. I grew up there. So 
and luckily have an ear for languages. So people didn't even know I wasn't Italian other than maybe to look at me if, if they were in a part of the country where I didn't look Italian enough to their eye. But what about your Japanese? When you speak it, do you sound like a Japanese person or like an Australian person speaking Japanese well? Oh, well, I think I can fool some people some of the time, but if I keep talking long enough, I, it, it would come through that I'm <laughs> a, an Australian born. What yeah. brought you to Japan? Uh, I initially came uh, because I was interested in knowing more about Asia. I, I'd been to China as my first job after graduating, and I'd lived in Shanghai and been to Tibet. That was in 1985, and then I couldn't go back to an ordinary life in Australia. So I started looking around for somewhere else in Asia to go to because because Australia is part of Asia, but we learned very little about that when I was at school and I just wanted to know more. And I found a job in Japan and came here and I've been here ever since. That's really exciting. And, and in terms of translating a book that w had such a claim in Japan, did the publisher not immediately think, well, we must translate this into other languages? It was you who came to them and said, I want to do the English translation. Well, the, the publisher that published the Japanese book, of course, they were already thinking they wanted to translate this. And I contacted them within a week of the prize being awarded. And also an agent who wanted to pr pr promote that book also contacted them. And so it was sort of a convergence <laughs> of minds at the same time. Yeah, so that's that's how it worked. But it also happened that I had worked for that publisher before and published several other of their um, novels. So they knew me and they were very happy to work with me. Well, I wish I, I, wish I could read Japanese because I have a feeling that I'd be very impressed with what you did. This book is so allegorical. It feels like the Odyssey like something uh, so classic, like it's an instant the Odyssey, like the yeah. Iliad, but it's from a dog's point of view in a way. And what am, why we've you and I have taken weeks and weeks to get together because I wanted to know some questions and some thoughts I had to ask the author who doesn't speak English, and you had never even spoken to him, much less met him. And I'm very happy that my asking if you could please find a way to be in touch with him made it possible for you to have a conversation with him. And I wonder what that felt like to you having translated this precious book of his and then actually getting to speak to him because he wouldn't know what a good job you did. He doesn't read English probably. No, he he wouldn't. But uh, the, the publisher's assistant uh, who I went with made sure that he did appreciate how much work I'd put into it and how well it was being received. So I was grateful to them for telling him that. But yes, it, it was very exciting for me to get to meet him at last. Uh, Is he famous a, in Japan? Is he well-known? Yes, he's a very well-known well writer. But when he won the prize for this book, in 2020, it was a prize that he'd been nominated for six times before, but oh never won. Oh, my God. And he finally won it with this book. Wow. The, the interesting thing is he's not well known as a as a dog, I guess, animal writer. He's well known as a crime writer and a, a, a writer of noir and oh. yakuza fiction. So I think it's a very interesting uh, 
combination. He brings his skills as a noir writer and combined them with a story of this kind about dogs. And I, I think what he's done there is created something unique, a unique genre. I always call it dog noir. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. To me, yeah. it's more like prose poetry. I wouldn't have been surprised if you told me he was also a renowned poet in the sense of the Odyssey being yes. a prose poem. It, yes. it, it, it's so engaging and you feel as if you're reading something epic when you're reading it. And it almost feels like you've known this story somehow in your head or your heart or in your dreams. It has this feeling. It isn't deja vu, but it's more a kind of deep familiarity Yes. Of this view of this dog who is on a journey and he's on a quest. And he connects so profoundly with a variety of people going through very intense and complicated times in their lives. And he passes yes. through their life in a way that transforms their lives, but not his mission, which is always a mystery to everyone. Yes. What is that mystery? It's exactly, yeah. There's a kind of sort of um, mythic quality yes. about dog. And um, one thing I was very interested to the, ask the author about was the name. How did he come upon the, uh, how did he choose the name? So the name of the dog is Tamon, uh, which is short for Tamonten. And Tamonten is the name of a guardian deity, the deity of the uh, guardian of the north in Japanese. And to me, that was a, a stroke of genius giving the dog that name because it's it sort of, um, it evokes that almost, um, mythical residences and especially because the dogs traveling from the north to the south right and the the guardian deity tamonten is not a it's it's quite a fierce deity <laughs> a warrior sort of um, god someone who's uh can be a, a very uh, uh he can um it's not always kind and heartwarming. But anyway, I asked the author, so why did you choose the name Tamonten? And he said it's because the characters of the name Tamon mean to listen a great deal. And I thought, that, that's perfect. And he said that is what Tamon does. Tamon listens a great deal. And that's what dogs do, don't they? They, they listen to us. They're there by our side and they're listening to us. So I was uh, That's very brilliant. You mean the written characters in Japanese? Yes, yes. So you would understand that immediately, being a, so proficient in Japanese and being such a precise translator. So it has almost a kind of visual artistry to it, too. So that yes. in Japanese, the way, what those characters would look like isn't just yes. the name, but the, the characters that make up the name each have meaning. Yes, that's isn't right. Isn't that something? So there's much more resonance, maybe, even in Japanese. Yes. Although it has lots of resonance in English. Another thing that you had mentioned was that you had sort of on behalf of our conversation made an appointment to, to meet him and talk to him. And then his yes. own dog died. And I thought, how could this happen to this man, you know, around the, the great acclaim of this book? But you're saying it was 2020. So for him, the big fireworks, if you will, had already gone by for the book. But yes. did you did he speak at all about the loss of his dog? Uh, yes, he did, and I asked him about that. In fact, I asked him about his dogs because uh, he has a pair of Bernese Mountain dogs, which are very 
very uncommon in Japan. Um, so his dog, the younger of the, he has a pair of dogs always, and the younger, which is a female, only seven years old, she died in late October, which was a great shock. The, the older dog is 12 years old, so he's he just has one um, male dog now, and he said he'll probably just have one for a while because a 12-year-old dog is a bit, it would be a bit hard, might be a bit hard for them to accept another one. But yes, um, Hase-san, as I call him, he lives, spends his time between his home in Hokkaido, which is in the far north, and where he was born in the town of Uragawa. And then when it gets cold, he comes to the mainland and he lives in a town in the northern Alps of Japan called Karuizawa, and that was where I met him last week. How long and, of a trip was that for you? Oh, Karuizawa is, well, on the bullet train, it's just over an hour from Tokyo. So, And then it's about an hour and a half to Tokyo for me by train. So it's, a, yeah, about about a three-hour journey altogether. But, but, I, but is tra are trains the way that people mostly get around in Japan? Yes, trains are the easiest. Yes, because, I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> Japan is such a mountainous country. It's honestly, you can't go anywhere that's not out of sight of mountains. Two thirds of the country geographically is is mountains, really? which is another thing that I was so happy to see represented in this book because yes. also very translated literature about Japan and you don't get a sense of that. It's all That's right. urban, uh, set in Tokyo. Right, the, rust, the, 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 the hush and rustle of, of Tokyo and the lights and the crowds. And yes, this yes. is very rural and very yes. much a sense of another place, a place yes. other than what we might expect. A, a great yes. deal of the book, it, it, well, actually the, the plot driver we find out later is around the tsunami, yes, and yes. and that's and the earthquake and and what that meant to all the people in Japan, to the dog, and to yes. the, and to where he had come from, and yeah. was that something that Seishu Hase lived through himself, or just his recognition of what a a huge event that is in the in the country of Japan, modern Japan? Uh, I think everybody lived through that uh, to some degree or other. He. Uh, the first story in the book is set in Sendai and the, the airport uh, and that is actually where my husband comes from and his family lives. Oh. So it's an area that I'm extremely familiar with and I've spent a lot of time there. And when I read that story, the first story, the scene, it came to me so vividly. I thought, you know, this he, he has a really intimate knowledge of this area. And the other day when I was speaking to him, he told me that he'd gone and actually lived in Naturi for six months after the uh, after the tsunami and earthquake. So that was why he knew it so well. But yes, the, the uh, that 2011 earthquake, I mean, it's not over the consequences of that for many people. It's not over for me in the town where I live. No kidding. You get lived, that sense in the book that the reverberation has not stopped. No, and especially with the nuclear industry, because I have a nuclear reactor three kilometers from my doorstep. That's about five, um, a couple of miles, I guess. Wow. And that has been stopped since 2011, and there is still, <laughs> you know, the, an ongoing um, process of 
wrestling with the consequences of Fukushima and what happened because of Fukushima and the nuclear industry and because all that, all the nuclear reactors in Japan were stopped after the uh, after the tsunami and the earthquake and they weren't allowed to restart again until they'd been through a, a um, safety verification process. But, of course, you know, and there's a great debate over whether to use nuclear energy or not um, and Japan being such a earthquake-prone country to begin with, it's very difficult to store nuclear waste or to... There are a lot of issues associated with having um, using nuclear power. So still face, still wrestling with the question of, is this something that we really want to do? Um, well, so. the book gives such a strong sense of what Japan is like and what people's lives are like, even... With yes. the spareness of detail and the spareness of description, it's yeah. just immersive. And I, I just want to say as we wind down the time that we have, Allison, that mm. your, your feeling for Japan, and now I know you have a Japanese in-laws and husband, is clearly woven into the country. You're, you're a part of it. You're not an outsider looking in. I, it, it just comes across so much in the book, and... It stay, this book stays with you, the boy and the dog. It really stays with you in a way that's, as you said, about the importance of animals in our lives, but just the importance of our lives and the small things that add up. So just yes. in the last few moments we have, I want to thank you for the beautiful job you've done. And when you do speak to Hase-san again, tell him how much I appreciate what he's done. And I hope that many other Americans are going to have opportunities to enjoy the book and his view of the world. So thank Thanks. you. <laughs> thank you so much, Tracy. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because you know, I, I do my best, but I really never know how other people are, are going to read it. So it's great to, to hear from <laughs> that it um, had such an effect on you. It it has, and I know it will resonate for many other people. The Boy and the Dog by Seishu Hase, translated from the Japanese by Alison Watts. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like No Hide and the Hybrid Dry Food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Wimer on or Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2 and will listen to other episodes sometime soon.